0: This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest to kick off the year, Happy 2021. Her name is Kimmy Gilbert and she is the managing partner of The Future Factory. Kimmy is just a fascinating person with the most interesting career path through everything from humanities to world history. She's worked with Amnesty International and lived in Vienna, which I think gives her a very different perspective to the industry. And when I tell you that Kimmy drops some pearls of wisdom when it comes to how specifically to get the attention of your ideal client and win new business, we discuss everything from email strategy. But when I say email strategy, I mean what specific emails to send, what time of day, how long the email should be, the subject line. She gives away secrets that, frankly, I think that she should be charging for. It made me a little bit uncomfortable, actually. I was like, Kimmy, maybe you should save that one for paying clients. Um, She's just been so open and forthcoming with the advice that she gives to agencies on how to win new business. And I think that gives you a flavor, not only of the kind of person that she is, but also the kind of business the Future Factory are. She's done an amazing job building the business into one of the leading new business agencies around today. She comes to us with just so much personality and a straightforward and honest perspective on what agencies should be doing to win new business both now and in the future. I learned a ton from speaking with her. I know you will as well. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Kimmy Gilbert. Kimi Gilbert is the managing partner at The Future Factory. They are one of the UK's leading business development consultancies. They work with creative, comms and digital agencies. With a mix of lead generation, board level coaching, market insights and consultancy, they help to make the future more predictable for agency owners, founders and directors. Since 2011, they have helped to shape the future of more than 300 agencies contributing to new business wins in excess of £100 million. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Kimmy Gilbert, welcome to Agency Dealmasters.
1: Thanks for having me, Nathan. Really good to be here.
0: Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Your history and background is absolutely fascinating. Not a typical one for a new business person. You get your degree from UCL in humanities in 2009. You've got a lot of experience in in human rights and, and volunteering, How did you get your start in business development for agencies?
1: It's funnily enough. I was chatting to a friend about this the other day and he was kind of taking the piss out of me because I think I kind of took the the long way around or kind of the scenic route to get here. So, um, I guess the abridged version would be I I graduated from uni in 2006. Um, and at that point I won a Fulbright scholarship to go to Vienna, Austria for two years Hmm. after that, I did a masters at UCL in human rights. Um, a short internship at Amnesty International and also a a stint at Westminster Archives, which is quite a cool project. They had won um, a Heritage Lottery Fund grant to commemorate the First World War. Now, at that point, I was 26, and this is why my friend was taking the piss out of me, because uh, by by that point, most of the people I knew, most of the people I graduated with were happily working away in their first, maybe even second jobs. Sure. Um, So I guess in terms of my, my lucky break, that was 2010, And I was doing some part-time work at a new biz consultancy called Inside, which was also run by Dan Sudren and Alex Sibyl, the founders of the Future Factory. And what I was helping with, it was a a project, a a government initiative to place interns into tech companies. Mm. So I was going in there a couple of days a week, uh, got to know the team there. really liked the people. And then I noticed that they were recruiting for account managers, so, I applied for the job. Now, the funny thing Nathan is thinking back to this point. I think I really messed up the interview. <laughs> it did not it did not go well, ok. Um, but I got the job. Um and then a year later, Dan and Alex left to set up the future factory, and I followed them. So I jumped ship with them as their first employee.
0: really interesting. We'll come back to the Future Factory in, in more detail in in a moment. But you've got an academic background, humanities background, and, and like myself, you're an ethnic minority. What do you think those experiences bring to your role as a new business person?
1: I think probably the most defining feature or aspect of my life is is having lived in a lot of different places. So... By the time I was 25 years old, I'd lived in four different countries, Um, and I think that this time abroad experiencing different cultures made me quite adaptable. Um, It also made me really curious about other people. So uh, I would say that I don't care who you are, where you're from, um, we could probably get together and have a pretty nice chat about, you know, a nice conversation about something we both find interesting. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with lots of decision makers, both from agencies and brands, this adaptability has really, really helped me. And you you mentioned uh, being an ethnic minority and then, you know, absolutely in a similar way, I think being an ethnic minority has made me quite adaptable to any environment I'm put in because being in a minority group of any kind, it it, kind of gives you that different perspective on the world. It it also gives you a really thick skin because of the experiences that we often have. Um, So again, it makes you adept at dealing with sometimes very difficult people. Um, and I think resilience is such a, a key quality to have in new business people. So I've, I've definitely pulled on that, uh, throughout my career. Um, and then finally you asked about having an academic background. Well, let's be honest. I'm a bit of a nerd, <laughs> so I don't, it's true. I don't mind admitting that. Um, I love doing research. I love connecting the dots. Um, and I think this skills made me quite adept at matching up agencies, propositions with prospective clients. So that that's been really handy.
0: Hmm. So that's a a nice segue into the future factory. Let's talk a little bit about the future factory in more detail. We're recording this in December 2020. Uh, We've had over 10 months of the pandemic now, which has affected most businesses. Talk about what you're seeing with respect to agency new business out there right now. Are agencies actively trying to win new business, Are clients spending money? Tell us what you're seeing at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a really mixed bag to be honest. So on the one hand, you've got some agencies that are hunkering down, trying to focus on the clients they do have. On the other hand, you've got agencies that are hungrier than ever, that are really seeing this um, as a period of growth. In a similar vein, you've got some brands that are saving their money for next year, whereas other brands want to spend spend the money now, this side of Christmas. So it is a mixed bag. Um, What I will say is, you know, in the last ten months, we've arranged a, a record number of new biz meetings for our clients, and and I think this shows that. There's such an appetite in our industry to hear from new suppliers. This appetite hasn't gone away because of COVID. Um, and there is a strong desire within the industry for this, I guess you could call it a return to normality and for everybody to get back on their feet. Um, one thing I have noticed that has landed very well is more agencies are doing breakfast briefings or lunch and learns. It's very food related in our industry and it's <laughs> That that works for me because I'm a big foodie. Uh, yeah, they, me too. Yeah, perfect. So especially this time of year, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they're doing these sessions with with in-house teams at brands, so it's beneficial for the agency because it means they can raise their profile and speak to lots of people within a brand, and it's beneficial for that brand because they can upskill their team this way, maybe teach them something new. So again, that's that's one of the trends we're seeing. Um, to be perfectly honest, we we crunched these numbers the other day. There are fewer live opportunities this time than there were this time last year but they are still out there um but again at this point in december i think everyone's so focused on 2021 and although i'm usually a pessimist i'm going to be an optimist and i I do think (laughs) 20 2021 is going to be a big year
0: so so talk about what the typical client of the future factory looks like what size or profile of agency are you the right fit for what problems do they have and how do you help solve them
1: Okay, this is probably not a good answer, but we've we've worked with every type of agency there is. So all disciplines, all sizes, it could be a two-man band um, at a studio in Hackney, right up through to the, the massive global networks. The one common factor, what we always see, is that they've got a hunger for new business. So agencies come to us because they want to win new clients. Um, what I will say, though, is that the reason they want to win new clients is always a little bit different. So I can give you a few examples. So sometimes, Agencies are really well known for a particular type of offering, but they want to win clients in a different discipline. Then there are those agencies that have loads of work on, but with really boring clients. So, you know, they take us on because they want to win some cool brands to get the team excited. Um, And then there are those agencies that come to us because they've got so many inbound leads but not with the right profile of brand that they want to be working with. So mm. I suppose they take us on because they see us as, I'm probably making myself sound cooler than I am, but kind of like hitmen. So they can take, <laughs> t- t- in a way, nice hitmen though. Um, we're, you know, we're not killing they don't people. Don't kill you. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we help not people. Ki- we're helping people, not killing people, but we can be sure. very, very targeted. Um, and I yeah. guess in, in terms of our starting point when it comes to working with, with agencies is, you know, it's always the same, regardless of if they're that two-man band we were talking about, or one of the big networks. We look at their proposition, we put that through a series of frameworks to see how it's gonna flex across different sectors. Um, A lot of times, agencies make the mistake in thinking their proposition should be quite fixed or static, um, and then through working with us, they realize it's meant to be something dynamic, it's meant to change according to who they're speaking to. Um, And then from that point out, we'll, we'll map out their case studies Look at the challenges they've helped other brands overcome. And then we put together a target list of companies with spend that we think would be interested in the agency's um, narrative and experience,
0: really interesting. So, just to backtrack there a moment. so you you help with the agency's positioning so that they they can be as relevant and as attractive to the target client as possible. So proposition development, then you look at their case studies and really understand sort of how they've helped similar types of companies solve these challenges. Then you build a list of ideal target, target clients and help them put their value proposition in front of them. Talk about that part. How do you then go from creating the list to putting their value prop in front of them and getting them opportunities with their ideal target clients?
1: Yep. So we're kind of old school, but we we pick up the phone. We cold call decision makers Great. and we send cold new business emails. Um, and people ask us about this all the time and they'll say, you know, isn't is the phone not dead? That's quite old fashioned. Uh, how are you getting cut through with all the emails that are getting sent? But, you know, we arrange hundreds of meetings every single month for our clients. So it is possible. I promise you.
0: How are you getting cut through with all the emails that are sending being sent at the moment? I mean, there are, we've never been busier. LinkedIn have given me another inbox, which I didn't ask for, but thank you very much, (laughs) LinkedIn. There
1: you go. Um,
0: I've got hundreds of emails coming in through my normal email accounts. uh, We're inundated with social media messages right, left and centre. How are you getting cut through with your email?
1: Cool. So I'll, I'm going to share a very s- sobering statistic with you, and then we can get on to some of the tips for new biz emails. So your average senior decision maker at a big brand, a tier one brand in the UK receives about 300 to 500 new business emails every single week from agencies. Is so that all? That's, yeah, that's <laughs> all. You know, 300 to 500. <laughs> not many. So no, right. not many at all. I mean, it's a staggering number, right? It's just mental mm. when you hear that. And um, I don't want any listeners though, who are, are tuning in to think, Oh God, that means I shouldn't send new biz emails because again, I've got some simple tips uh, for the people joining us today um, to kind of help them get that cut through that we are at Future Factory. So I guess my top three would be, firstly, you know, you've know, you got to demonstrate some sort of understanding of the brand, the person you're getting in touch with, the products they have, their marketing activity, any recent campaigns. I'm gonna sound like a real stalker here, but I think um, stalker is just another word for a new business person. But you know, looking at the types of things the person is liking and sharing on LinkedIn, finding interviews that they've given recently or events they've spoken at. And all of this info is gonna help you make your email more tailored because most of those 300 to 500 emails we were just talking about, they're gonna be cut and paste jobs and they're mostly gonna be talking about the agency that's getting in touch. So as a, as a rule of thumb, you should always say more about the brand and the contact you're getting in touch with than you do about yourself and your agency. So that would be kind of a first tip. So. We, we, we say kind of a future factory-ism, show me you know me. So that's the first one. <laughs> the second one would be to promise some kind of loose ideas, um, thoughts, or at the very very least have really strong opinions. Um, in no way am I saying agencies should give away all of their thinking for free, but you do really have to demonstrate what's in it for the other person. And then finally, I, I think acknowledging the fact that they're already working with agencies and letting them know you have no expectations. Now, the fact that someone's already working with an agency is actually a good thing because it means they're used to spending in your area. And then a bit about no expectations, people call me out on that all the time in training sessions and they say, what, that's so weird. Like, don't you you have expectations? Do you not want money and briefs and all of these things? The answer is yes, but you've really got to think of these new biz emails as a first date. Um, You don't want to be the guy who comes on too strong so that's what that's why we say no expectations
0: really interesting and then you talk about the phone not being dead I mean I'm a new business person I sort of grew up on the phone I I did everything from selling water coolers to recruitment and the phone was the main tool in recent years it's sort of been castigated and people have Mm. sort of said it, it doesn't work and they've relegated it to the um to the dustbin how are you getting cut through with the telephone at the moment, especially in this environment of COVID-19, when people aren't really working from the office so much?
1: Yeah, I think it's because we have the nerve to try, you know, there's there's no harm in giving it a go, right? So even mm-hmm. if, if we look back, it seems like a long time ago now, but uh, if you look back to April and May, so this was proper lockdown here in the UK, a lot of the poor switchboard people were still going into the office, and they were very happy to give out mobile numbers, uh, and I would say that even during normal times without the pandemic, it's always worth asking receptionists for people's phone numbers. Um, again, a little future factory we say, if you don't ask, you don't get, so there's no harm in, in asking. Mm. I think as well with the, the phone stuff, um, our team has reported that decision makers have been a lot friendlier on the phone. Mm. and more willing to talk even and have a longer conversation during the last 10 months. Mm. So again, I think this goes back to what we were talking about with this uh, desire in the industry for this return to normality. Um, Mm. Now, for me personally, I will admit um, I have a personal preference for new business emails, but I can't deny that we get better results for our clients from meetings that are arranged over the phone because you get such a better feel for that decision-maker's personality Yeah. Which means we can better coach our clients and say, look, they're this type of person. This is what they're interested in. Um, I would also say that meetings arranged over the phone are less likely to fall through. Interesting. So, so again, the phone isn't dead. I think it's maybe a generational thing when I've Mm. kind of putting some thought into, you know, you were talking about how um, you're not phone shy. You like picking up the phone. I'm Mm. the same way. I have noticed that younger new business people who come to our training sessions, they tend to be a lot more phone shy than more experienced uh, people who come along. Um, I think maybe it's a cultural thing as well. So, you know, we're so used to texting our friends rather than talking. I don't know about you, Nathan, but I send my friends more emojis than I do pick (laughs) up the, you know, really than picking up the phone to them, so. So much easier. Exactly. And quicker. Mm. Totally, it's a a cultural thing. I would say, oh, speaking of emojis, if you do have a decision-makers WhatsApp, Uh, don't be shy about hitting them up that way it is a legitimate channel we've arranged meetings over whatsapps even very senior people like emojis so that's that's a tip for everyone
0: (laughs) really interesting and you you don't find that people feel like you're invading their personal space because whatsapp is now i guess a lot of people communicate with their friends and family on there but increasingly you're seeing that it's being used for new business and business in general
1: I think if we've got someone's mobile number and you've obtained it in a legitimate way and by legitimate, I mean, you've pulled it from someone's email signature or a colleague of theirs gave it to you or the receptionist gave it to you. I think it's completely fine. And again, people are used to to responding. So I've had people who maybe had blanked my emails or calls, uh, but then I send them a text, throw in an emoji um, and I'll get a response. It's just what people are used to, I think.
0: Just one more point about, about the phone. I was speaking to Jeb Blunt not too long ago. So Jeb Blunt has written four amazing books on sales and prospecting, probably the Bible on prospecting called um, Fanatical Prospecting, where he, he essentially says what you've said. Everything works. The phone works. Email works. Direct mail works. There's no one channel that will solve all of your new business problems. It's a combination of everything. And people that say that a single channel is dead, I think are just trying to ultimately push their product or service, Mm. um, which is the, you know, which is the, probably the social selling app or, or what have you, um, everything kind of works. And I think it's down to the individual to understand the right mix of tools and channels that can get cut through for their specific market, for their specific challenge and their uh, target customer.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, certain decision makers, uh, for example, if you see that they're really, really active on LinkedIn, we don't tend to use LinkedIn as one of our tools at Feature Factory. I think uh, that's probably down to personal bias more than anything else, to be honest, because again, the phones and emails are, are working for us. However, increasingly we are using it when we see a person who's got a very active LinkedIn. So a really detailed LinkedIn, lots of connections, someone who comments and likes things because we know that that person probably has the LinkedIn app on their phone. They check it fairly often. On the flip side, if you see someone has, you know, one of those kind of ghost LinkedIn profiles or the ones that are really stripped back with no info. Mm. It wouldn't probably make sense to use LinkedIn to reach out to that type of person because they don't see it as a a platform that they use often, so we try to pick our battles, I guess, and, and be strategic about which which um, channel we're using.
0: So there are other new business agencies out there, not naming any names, but what makes the Future Factory different, special, stand out?
1: Yeah, so a lot of our clients have worked with other new biz consultancies in the past, and we we do tend to ask them, why did you come on board with us? What makes us different? and usually they'll tell us it's two things. So the first one being our people and the second one being our approach. In terms of the people we have at Future Factory, we don't hire traditional salespeople. Um, Our team are the types of people you'd see working within an agency. Um, And I think this puts everybody's, I guess, mind at ease. So it's, I think the way we walk and talk feels very familiar to our clients. So they like that. One other quirk is that we don't, pay our team per meeting they arrange. So we don't bonus them based on the number of meetings uh, they're getting for their clients mm. because when we considered that uh, a long time ago, we just thought that's going to push the quality of the meetings right down. You know, even someone with very good intentions might be tempted to, to push something through that isn't really valuable for the client. Mm. So instead, we have a system whereby the longer an agency works with us, the more money an account manager can earn at future factory. So there's that little quirk. Um,
0: Interesting, so you're incentivizing the right behavior. Yeah,
1: exactly right. So that's something a bit different. Um, In terms of our actual approach, it's it's very nuanced, it's very research-based. We don't do mass mailers or blanket approaches. We don't use any traditional hard sales techniques either when speaking to people on the phone. We always keep it conversational. Um, So one stat for you, we crunched these numbers recently. Um, 70% of the meetings we arrange are with C-suite or director level contacts. So again, we go in at that senior level. And I think the fact that that we can um, engage people at that level shows that our way of working suits the industry, it suits our clients, and it does get the results they want.
0: What else should the agency be doing to ensure that you're successful?
1: Yeah, there are a couple of things. So When we work with agencies that have in-house marketing teams, that can be an absolute godsend. So when you're talking about content creation, if they've got an in-house marketing team or even just one person who's creating content that's being shared on LinkedIn, have they got an active blog? Uh, Do they have a newsletter? Are they doing their own events? Are they speaking at events? All of these types of things—it's—it's it's so helpful for us from a new business perspective in terms of our targeting, um, in terms of—I guess it's really fodder for our new business approaches because you can only you can only go back to a decision maker so many times. So typically we send, um, let's say three, usually two to three new business emails to the same contact. That's significantly fewer approaches than probably most of our competitors. And you know, we always make. approach a little bit different because you don't want to keep going back to the same person with the same stuff. So if you're working with an agency, again, where um, they've managed to get some fantastic PR in in the times or whatever it might be, then we can use that to form the basis of our approach. So it it keeps things fresh. So definitely having an in-house marketing team uh, can really help us do our job.
0: So there was an agency I was speaking to recently, a a pretty large B2B tech agency, who said that they didn't want to hire a new business agency. They wanted to build their own internal marketing teams and their own internal business development function. Is there a good mix in your mind as to what works, both from a time to value perspective, from an ROI perspective, whether they should hire a new business agency like yourselves and fully outsource it, or whether they should have some combination of internal resource marketing resource and internal new business team.
1: Cool, so I'll just put this out there. So I, I work for a new business consultancy, so I'm clearly very biased. However, <laughs> I'm gonna give you my honest answer. Um, yeah, I was looking right. for your impartiality. Right, cool. So with that in mind, I think in an ideal world, if money were no object, if it did not matter, and if an agency could afford it, I do think the best scenario is having an in-house new business team, in-house new business stroke marketing team, and a new business agency. Um, and where I've seen this work West, work West, my God, work best is when the in-house new biz team is focused more on marketing activity, um, inbound leads, meeting preparation, making creds, those types of things. Mm. And then you've got the external new business agency focusing primarily on cold new business, uh, because that's the hardest type of new business to get in, of course. You know, you're always gonna win work. Uh, faster from people who already know you. So again, Mm. the cold stuff, get your new biz agency to focus on the cold stuff. Um, Because in our experience, agencies don't necessarily have the time to focus on getting new leads in. Maybe they don't have the desire, um, which is again why they pick up the phone to people like the Future Factory. However, if budgets are tight, or let's say um, an agency like the one you're speaking of, Nathan, would rather have somebody in-house prospecting on their behalf, 100% I've seen that work really, really well as well. Um, I would recommend having some kind of system in place for managing that person or managing that team and and keeping their spirits high. uh, Because again, new business can be really tough and it's important to give in-house new business people the support they need.
0: You mentioned at the beginning of the show that you would talk about your top tips for email prospecting uh, and, and getting cut through. Just before we get into our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests, what are your top tips for email prospecting?
1: So I guess beyond the the ones that we spoke about in terms of making it really targeted, that's the show me, you know, me promising some kind of ideas and letting them know that you've got no expectations. I've got a few tips in terms of the best time to send emails and subject lines, which might help people get better cut through. So we've tracked this across the entire team at feature factory. And I can say that the best time to send a new business email is towards the end of the day on a Tuesday.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Why?
1: All right. I've thought about this. I've thought about this long and hard. I think it's because, well, okay. I don't know about you, Nathan. I hate Mondays. I hate Mondays. I hate (laughs) them. I hate them. I hate them. Yeah. Uh, Especially in winter. Right? Sure. So Monday is also a time when, again, I don't know about you, Nathan. You probably have a lot of meetings, internal ones on a Monday and we do at Future Factory as Mm -hmm. well. So we kind of think people are not in a good mood on a Monday. We don't want to bother them. <laughs> Stay away from the dragon, right? But sure. but then on a Tuesday, people are okay. I'm in the swing of the week now. Right. Yep. I'm back at back at work, getting in the getting in the flow. Mm. I think towards the end of the day is better because again, people are so busy with not just with you know meetings, but um, probably checking emails uh, during the day. So we want to be the person to catch them when things are a little bit calmer. Um, And this used to work really well for us when, you know, when people were still commuting, we would get most of our meetings sent from someone's iPhone because um, I don't know what it is, but I think a lot of decision makers um, maybe live in in greater London, maybe in in Surrey or they're they're commuting and so we'd catch them on their commute home with nothing better to do than to look at a new biz email.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, they've got nothing better to do than... Scroll and look at new businesses. Maybe emails. that
1: or watching Game of Thrones, either or, but <laughs> but something. and you know we'd catch them that way. Um now, of course, everybody's working from home now, but we still think at the end of the day on a Tuesday, it's still it's still a sweet spot for us. Um, so again, maybe not as late as we used to send them, but maybe sending them around half four that can work really well
0: just on that though if everyone then hears this and then starts sending their emails towards the end of the day on a Tuesday isn't that going to change the the way that you know how well those emails perform
1: i hope not but we I, uh, we <laughs> you know what though then we'll just have to reevaluate and then we can do a, a, you know ask me again in 6 months nathan um <laughs> but i would say to people listening they like, give it a try and then Report back and let us know if that's actually worked for you.
0: Um,
1: I would say that, you know, it, the best thing though is really, so yes, I'm a big fan of the Tuesday end of the day, but you've it's really good to send them throughout the week um, because again, you don't know what time... That person's going to be, there's a lot of luck involved with what we do when you're catching that person in a good mood at their desk, looking at their phone, whatever it is. So mm. mix up the days and times you send the emails. I would say, however, don't ever send a new biz email on a Friday. Mm. Um, we're quite serious about that. Why? Um, I've thought about this. I think it's because, well, two things. One, Friday is the best day of the week for us to hit the phones. It's our best day for arranging meetings over the phone, so we'd rather use the time on Friday to to get some of those calls done. In terms of the email, I think it's that you know people have got that Friday feeling, mm. maybe have the energy to have a chat with someone on the phone, they're in a good mood, mm. but do they necessarily want to read a detailed email and respond? Um, I tend to think that people will see a good email, say, yeah, I can reply on a Monday, by Monday, again, they're in a bad mood like me,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, sad the weekend's over, it's raining, it's cold. And then that email is going to be so low on their priority list.
0: Really fascinating. What about subject lines?
1: Right. So the subject line that is working best for us right now is the the brand's name with a little X, like a times, the agency's name. Hmm. So it's, it's pretty simple. It's stripped back. I mean, there's nothing so special about it, but it's working really, really well for us.
0: Why do you think that works so well?
1: thought about this as well. And actually someone who came to training recently said that they think it's because it... You know when cool brands do collaborations? So if it's like Nike, Times, Liberty or whatever it is, all the different collaborations out there, they said that it just kind of looks... It looks kind of cool, maybe, you know, desirable. Hmm. I think as well, sometimes just seeing the brand's name. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll try this on you, Nathan. But if I were to put you know, agency deal masters in the subject line, you know, would you, would you be more likely to click on it? Would you open it? Probably. So that's, what's working for us. But again, people should try it out and then report back um, and let me know what they think.
0: Last question, cause I'm fascinated about all of this and thank you for being so open with, with all of your trade secrets. It's, it's really fascinating and um, amazing to hear that. Um, email length How long should emails be? Should they be short and concise so that people can read them on their iPhone pretty quickly? Or should they be long and detailed? And with that, obviously, you have more of an opportunity to talk about the specific challenges and make it more bespoke. What are your ideas around that?
1: Mm, Okay, so this is the never-ending debate uh, within Future Factory because we've all got different opinions. And I should say as well, with all of this stuff... We've tried to make it as scientific as possible, but of course there are certain things that are subjective about what we do, and you need to do what feels right for you. I would say that you'd be you'd be surprised at how long emails can have a really, really positive impact. Um again, sometimes people see the emails that we send out and they say, Whoa, that's so long. I would just I, I just couldn't. And then I say to them, okay, you have to do what feels right to you. But I think a good rule of thumb for length is that if your email is long, because you're talking about industry trends and because you're talking about the person you're getting in touch with, uh, talking about the brand you're reaching out to, that there justifies the length. If, however, the flip side would be, if your email's long because you're talking about your agency for five paragraphs, (laughs) then that's, you know, and of course, we've all been guilty of writing emails like that at at times, but then again, that's the kiss of death. So that's, that's what I'd say about length because I have seen people try to make their emails so short that suddenly, you know, there's, there's no, you can't, you know, what can you, no exactly, no yeah. substance. What can you say in two or three sentences? Not that much. Um, another tip would be that your first email should be the longest of the three you're going to send. Hmm. So the first email, you can, again, make that a little bit longer. What we do is we wait about a week, seven to 10 days. So a week to 10 days. And then if we still haven't heard back from that decision maker, we send a follow up. And that follow-up email, again, it needs to be different uh, than the first one, because if you send the same email twice, you're just spamming that person. So Mm. we we make it shorter, we make it shorter, we include different types of information, and then again, we wait another week to 10 days. If we still haven't heard back, we'll do what we call the Hail Mary attempt, which is, all right, (laughs) let's just go for it. And that third email is even shorter.
0: Really fascinating. Yeah, I really love your approach to this, Kimmy. Thank you so much for for sharing some of your your tips with us. Let's get into everyone's favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm super excited to ask you some of these as well. Um, These are about who is the person behind the brand sort of questions. So um, first one, nice and easy one, tell us about some of your favorite books. What do you read for personal and professional development?
1: Okay. So I told you earlier, I admitted the fact that I'm a big nerd um, and I, I don't mind though. And I, I am a big bibliophile. I'm obsessed with books. Um, and I try to read, um, about one German book a week because it's the only way that I can, I guess, kind of keep that language alive because I don't use it on a regular basis. So, you know,
0: you speak German, I speak
1: German from having lived in, in Berlin and Vienna. Hmm. Um, but it's rusty. I'm speaking to an Austrian friend later on um, on WhatsApp, and he's probably going to take the piss out of me now for my, as he likes to do. So <laughs> he says, "What's happened to your German?" But in any case, I do like reading German books. So it could be a bestseller, it could hmm. be classic lit. Doesn't matter. Uh, but my favourite type of book would be autobiographies. So hmm. I know Nathan, when we spoke previously, you told me how much you like Vienna.
0: Love it. Beautiful city.
1: Isn't it? So you've got to read this book then. It's by the writer Stefan Zweig. Hmm and it's called The World of Yesterday.
0: The World of Yesterday.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. And his descriptions of Vienna at the turn of the century are incredible. I mean, this guy was friends with with Freud. Huh. So that th- those are types of people he hung out with. So he'll just drop drop it in really casually like, "Yeah, so I was having a co- coffee with with Freud." And it's like, "What?" But Oh,
0: of course, as you do. Yeah. Why not?
1: No, but it's 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 such it's a beautifully written book. So that that's my favorite. Give us one more. Oh, my God. I don't know if I could then. So there's that So that one for sure. I do. Okay. When it comes to, I guess, uh, English language books. All right. So I know he was a big, fat misogynist, um, but I, I I can't help it. I really love Ernest Hemingway. Um, so I've read. I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't, but I really, really love everything that he's written. And again, his autobiography, A Movable Feast, about his time um, in Paris uh, is just fantastic. So, Yeah.
0: Sure. But just literary genius, uh, I mean, he's just one of the most legendary uh, literary writers in all history.
1: That's Yeah, that's the thing. So I that's why, again, although maybe I, I don't like aspects of his personality and what people, what we now know about him, mm. um, like his, you know, attitude towards women and everything else, mm. um, I do like his book. So, you know, The Sun Also Rises is one of my biggest favourites. Um, I also really like Kurt Vonnegut, um, who his work is really offbeat. Most people know Slaughterhouse 5, but I, I get, he's got so many different books. Um, really, really depressing stuff uh, because he was a bit of a uh, of a misanthrope. But I think you know he hated um, he hated mankind, um, also because he thought that mankind could be so much better. Than what it actually was so uh, there's a glimmer of hope in his writing but it's also depressing maybe too depressing for winter to be honest
0: (laughs) what's the most interesting thing that people don't know about kimmy gilbert
1: right so i was born in seoul south korea and i was adopted um, by a white family as a baby Hmm. so that's something most people don't know about me it's it's a really unique experience i have met i have met other adoptees but um, um not many and I think you know this experience has made me put a lot of thought into um, issues of race. Um, I've put a lot of thought into the the debate about you know is it nature is it nurture what what drives us. Um, so with my own identity, it's definitely kind of split. It's kind of I guess people would say bifurcated, but not in a bad way. Mm. Um, it's just it's just who I am.
0: Mm. Really interesting. I d- I did not know that. Um, what do you do for fun when you're not helping agencies win new business?
1: Okay, so I am a nerd, however, I have a fun side as well. And I I, do, I love a good dance. I'm massively into clubbing. So I, I, I mentioned, I miss it so much. You know, we all have things that we miss um, now that we're in this weird new world and clubbing's definitely high up on the list for me. Um, I mentioned uh, living in Berlin uh, in 2004. Now that was the year the infamous Berghain opened its doors. Um, so that really instilled a love of techno and house in me. Um, and now, for the last 12 years since I've been living in London, God, I love the music scene here because it's so diverse and it, it's so rich. Um, so I've got into Garage, um, Afrobeats, um, a little, I've been to a few Grime Nights. It's, it's with some live emceeing and things. I'm, I'm, I'm up for it all. And, you know, in terms of the spaces that you've got in London, it's just amazing. So places like The Yard and Hackney Wick, yeah. um, there's this DIY. I live in South London, in Deptford. Um, there's a place called Ormside Projects. Which is a lovely little DIY space in South Bermondsey, and I'll I'll go anywhere for clubbing, Nathan. Anywhere across the capital,
0: love it. Um,
1: So go to North London as well. There's a a space called the Cause in Tottenham that I really like too.
0: Absolutely love it, brilliant. We'll have to go clubbing sometime. Let's do it Uh, when when this is all (laughs) over. Um, Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you watching or streaming that's good? Okay, so
1: I'm a Netflix gal, but um, usually only in the winter. Um, because I try, I try keyword, try, I try not to watch shows when the weather is good. It's very hard not to, um, but I've been, I've been learning Spanish for the past couple of years. So I try to watch Spanish programs, uh, with Spanish subtitles to kind of train, train my ear and practice. So most, most people are probably familiar with this show, but Money Heist is one that I absolutely love. Yeah. It's really good.
0: Spanish show. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really quite dramatic and flamboyant but very spanish and just brilliant tv
1: yeah it's, it's incredible i wish they didn't talk so fast though because it, it takes me like a day to watch an episode because i'm kind of trying to go back and did i understand that right. um but yeah it's such a good show yeah. and this this is really embarrassing to admit this um but i oh so embarrassing but i also watch this show called cable girls which is embarrassing because it's a soap opera um it's set in 1920s madrid and i just love the. I love the costumes and also for whatever reason, they talk a lot slower on that show than they do on Money Heist. So I like it because I can understand it a bit better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really interesting. Last couple of questions and then I'll I'll let you go. Uh, In the last three to five years, what ideas, behaviors, or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes?
1: Mm, Okay, so I am a bit of a hedonist. And to be honest, I had a pretty unhealthy lifestyle for most of my adult life. Um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, the singer Rufus Wainwright no. uh, but he's got this song you should check him out I, I like his stuff he's got this song called Cigarettes and Chocolate Milk um,
0: oh is he related to Martha yeah, Wainwright exactly right is that the daughter is that the, the daughter
1: uh, I think Martha is the sister
0: is the sister yeah but their
1: okay. dad was famous as well but um I yes. like his stuff. It's 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 pretty eclectic. Um, but his song Cigarettes and Chocolate Milk, the first time I heard that, I was like, oh my god, that's me. And that sums up my twenties and, and early 30s really nicely. Um
0: cigarettes and chocolate yeah, milk. Yeah. I couldn't think of a worse combination. <laughs> I know.
1: It's just it's but the whole song's about you know doing things that are bad for our body, but then we don't stop doing them. Uh, but it's quite a yeah. playful song. Um Interesting. and you know, a few years ago I was feeling really rubbish, so I did two things. I stopped drinking. Uh, and I gave up my beloved French cigarettes as well, which is, I was quite sad to part with them. Um, it's not to say that I don't occasionally indulge um, in things, but I think those two things have given me so much more energy and I have a lot more, of, I guess, a positive outlook on life thanks to these changes.
0: Really interesting. I'm just searching for that song right now. I'm gonna add it add it to my list on Spotify. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in a new business agency?
1: Right. So you'd probably expect this kind of response from a new business person, but I would say that you need to new biz yourself. So if there are agencies or companies you're interested in learning more about, don't be shy about making a direct approach, reach out on LinkedIn, send them an email and see if they maybe be open to an informational interview, some kind of quick chat, Uh, because although senior people are time poor, I do genuinely believe there's a willingness and a desire within the industry to help young people get a start. Mm -hmm. So reach out to them and see what happens.
0: And my final question, Kimmy, what is it you know about the world of new business today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career?
1: I would say it's that people are people. And this took me a long time to really understand. People are people. Um, So if you're talking to the CMO at Unilever about their agency requirements, uh, you might feel very intimidated. But at the end of the day, that person is just a person like you, like me. Mm. Um, So instead of, I guess, hitting them with lots of industry jargon, um try talking to them the way you would at the pub and you'll get much better results and feel more like yourself in the process.
0: Absolutely love that. Kimmy, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. I've I've really enjoyed it.
0: We have been speaking with Kimmy Gilbert. She is currently the managing partner at The Future Factory if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to apple Podcasts where you can listen to over a hundred such conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales marketing and new business thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on linkedin and email write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com at please head over to itunes and leave us a review follow me on twitter at nathan Anibaba. we would be unable to do the show without our very own dealmasters. ahmed ahmed is our editor Genevieve Magecki is our booker slash project manager. Chris Blaszczek is our researcher. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.